Here we go, here we go, here we go. Happy Mother's Day. I, now you should remember that every day is Mother's Day, but with a big M and a big D today. Happy Mother's Day, okay. Every day is Mother's Day, right, Kirk? Every day, okay, good, good. We should pray about that, here we go. If anyone is in Christ, so technical baptismal language from Romans 6, you get moved into Christ, then you're in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. O Lord God Almighty, who dost every year renew the face of the earth, and whose will it is to renew the world fallen into sin and death, grant to us, we beg you, that we may discern in your Son the dawning of true life, and in him share in his new creation, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So this is a great sadness, of course, today. To, uh, we lost, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 college kids who are always just here. Now suddenly they're gone. Uh, but it was a very nice year. And if you're a parent of a college kid, uh, Concordia, Wheaton, or anywhere else, they were fabulous. They bring us a lot of joy and energy. And they really were here all the time, just like they're going to tell you at lunch today. <laughs> so it was, uh, we were full of college kids. A lot of that is Betsy, so we're grateful to Betsy for bringing um, college kids. And then, uh, you know, there were, you know, Sam and KJ and Daniel and, you know, some of these other people who brought, you know, they, they come to Morning Eucharist, which is just the weirdest thing you could do as, you know, a 20-year-old, right? Come to Morning Eucharist. That just means you're upside down in some fabulous way. So uh, it's been a really nice year. And, um, but everything, you know, there's graduations today and baccalaureates and all kinds of things happen. And so, you know, here we go. It'll be a little different for a little while, but we're really, thanks to all of you for supporting them and, and being good to them through the year. It's been a very, very nice year. If you want to go to Israel, fill this out. I'm sending, uh, you who are delaying but thinking you're still going, I'm sending the first 11 in this morning. So there are people who are on the way. Um, you know, you should go for no other reason that Joe Home is going. Come on. So this is what, someday I want to grow up and be Joe Home. I mean, how can you keep up with Joe Home? So there you go. So we have this week and next week, and then, you know, summertime will happen. Um, uh, pray for Mary and Judy. You know, I think you know they're doing secret stuff. We'll talk more about it next week when they're back. So that's good. Uh, besides being arrested in Rome, they actually have important things they need to do. <laughs> So, I mean, that's a little bit unfortunate that, you know, they go to the pokey the first day. But what can you do, right? Kids, you turn them loose, they do what they want. So um, they're in the process of supporting uh, pastors in Estonia. Uh, so they're, they're busy doing stuff. But we'll talk about it later when they're back. It'll be more, it'll be more better then. And then for all of you, um, thanks to the kids for singing and bringing your kids this morning. That was nice. That's how they learn, right? So, you know, that's how they learn. They learn by doing uh, as so many things. And then a baptism this morning and several baptisms stacked up over the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot cooking. May is always the busiest month, more than Christmas, more than Easter. There's so much going on with folks. So uh, for all of that, you know, then we end up starting late. So, but, it's, but it's worth it given what's happened. Besides that, you've heard me say this a hundred times before. I only have one song and I just keep singing it to you, right? Um, and a day like today is a great example of that. You know, the vibrancy that's here is not just because people aren't going straight to hell. 
And Lutherans, you know, suffer, especially when they read Luther in the wrong way, with this notion that somehow there's this binary choice of I'm going to hell, I'm not going to hell, and if I'm not going to hell, then everything is worked out. I give you in the bulletin for today, Luther, right? This life, therefore, is not godliness, but the process of becoming godly. You grow, you mature, you get better, right? Not health, but getting well. Better tomorrow than you are today. Not being, but becoming. Sounds positively mystical. Not rest, but exercise. We'll talk about this next week, but why do you come to church? You need exercise. Right? You need practice. Why do you make the sign of the cross? You need practice. Why do you sing? You need practice. Why do you pray? You need practice. Right? Straight up Luther. The process is not yet finished. He is, of course, talking about sanctification, not justification. We get better and better. But it is actually going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. Pilgrims, right? The way is made by walking. The Camino, right? The Via, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, you know, the final supper when you're, when you're dying, right? The last thing that happens when you're, the last thing that happens just before you die is that the pastor slips the Holy Eucharist between your lips, right? The viaticum, something for the journey in Latin, right? That's how the world works. This is not the goal, but this is the right road, Jesus who shepherds us. At present... Everything does not gleam and sparkle, which should then make you more, um, a bit more tolerant of me and make me a bit more sensitive toward you. Today, everything doesn't gleam and sparkle. I'm getting better, Monty Python, but everything <laughs> is being cleansed, right? So everything is being cleansed, and you are on the way to better. Right? There's always more to do. Jesus is always up and on to the next thing. He doesn't stick around over the hill. In a couple of weeks, the, you know, I'll go with you wherever you go. Jesus, I'm like, I don't have any place to go. At least not a final telos the way you think about it. I'm not going home. I'm going to find people. And so we started then last week with what that would look like from Colossians. And you come to this very interesting text, put off, put on, which was the first text I had in seminary ever to write a sermon on first term, first year. It was a horrible selection because it's so difficult. There's so many things to understand about it. But what we did last week was basically this notion of there are all these vices, and we've talked about these vices again and again and again, and you should find these vices revolting. And so the Greek word that's used there is a word for when you stumble upon a corpse somebody who's had an unfortunate death, right? You're sort of horrified by that. That's the way that you're to respond to anything that is not holy. So you put that off or you kill that in your own life or you pray that away or you go to the sacrament or you get baptized or you call for an anointing or you have your house cleansed or you have an exorcism. That's the way the church works. You push those things away and then beyond that, Luther, you get better. It's not just enough to lose all those things. 
What's extraordinarily important is that your life is conformed to the image of Christ. And some of that is conscious, and some of that is quite unconscious. The most unconscious part of it is your own suffering, where the Lord is trimming things and moving things and breaking things and resetting them and healing them up and pushing you in a different direction, and you don't even know what's going on. Right? But unless you're tuned into that, especially through the liturgy, especially through, so liturgy, broadly speaking. I mean, as you know, I think Jay-Z at Madison Square Garden is a liturgy. So, you know, think about this broadly, right? As in, you listen and you respond, you pray, you kneel, you receive the gifts, you're cleansed, you receive the Holy Spirit, you reflect and you are moved into something bigger than yourself. This constant practice, this constant discipline of Christ and Scripture and prayer, liturgy and the Eucharist, giving alms and tithing, being extraordinarily merciful toward other people who frankly are just like you. And then all of that bundles itself up in this great witness to the world. And so we have these readings and acts all during this time of Easter during the Old Testament slot because Acts is the Old Testament fulfilled. That's the reason you hear Acts. Because all the things that were promised have now been delivered. That poignant phrase today when Paul, um, uh, yeah, when, uh, when St. Paul says, um, I'm suffering because Jesus put me into the office of the ministry. The, the phrase is actually, he, I'm in the office received from Christ. And so this is no different than when, uh, you know, the child who is baptized today receives a new life, right, from Christ, is put into a new place because of Christ, is moved, Romans 6, from death into life, uh, from this world to the next world, moved into death, into resurrection, into glory, into a new life. And all of that is presumed behind what we were doing in uh, this little bit from Colossians last week. So I am finally at 20 after at point number one. Uh, This can happen to a person. Jesus rouses us. You remember that's the word for resurrection uh, in in, uh, what we watched last week um, in Colossians 3. Jesus rouses us. He resurrects us from death, which was never meant to happen to us. And he shows us the unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he turns us toward beautiful, holy things. And he gives us a prompt toward heaven. And from now until then, your life is this life of put on, put off. To maintain your revulsion to evil things. And you don't get to decide, of course. And by the way, you don't get to decide what's evil. You're revolted by evil things. And you embrace holy things. And by the way, you actually don't get to decide what holy things are either. You end up embracing things that are terribly selfless, like generosity or prayer or hard study or suffering. So the Pope. Today we are full of jubilation, and that is important. It's very important to be happy. God wants us to be happy always. He knows us, and he loves us. If we allow the love of God to change our heart, we can change the world. I mean, I'm just reading on the very outside of, 
You have the protests that are going on over abortion and such. Uh, man, it is nasty fast because people can feel, you know, a breakpoint coming. It's extraordinarily difficult. You know, there was this call to protest in masses today, um, which, if it was anybody else but Catholics, would be considered a hate crime. Uh, we will see what happens today, right? There's sort of this national underground, four or five organizations sending people into masses to disrupt them. We will see. There were lawyers who wrote them back and said, here are the laws that you'll break. We're ready. So it's going to be an interesting day uh, today. But, um, you know, you can change the world. And changing the world is the secret of authentic happiness. This gift comes from on high. Peace be with you. He breathes on the disciples in the upper room. Peace be with you. Jesus gives it with his breath, with his spirit. These are the words of the risen Lord. We hear them during each Mass, so we will. Peace be with you and also with you. It was particularly vibrant this morning. I had half a mind to think you might have been talking about the, you know, the Sox rally in the top of the 10th, but I didn't want to think ill of you, right? I presume there were just a lot of sins to be forgiven today. So these are... A little joke, you're a little nervous. You loosen up a little bit, okay? It's almost summer. Uh, these are the words of the risen Lord. We hear them during each Mass, and today resound anew in this place with the hope that each one of you will be transformed, that, that Greek word transfigure. So used of Jesus on the mountain, he was transfigured, and then borrowed to use of Christ, Christians, you are transfigured in your life. Become a sower and a messenger of that peace for which Christ offered his life. And so then, um, just kind of a bundle of what I've already told you about. Uh, Put your evil things to death with revulsion. Don't touch them. And so I've often said to you, the summary of the Christian life is easy. Touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. Touch good, don't touch evil. It's as simple as that. The Christian life is as simple as that. So the baptism this morning, that was touching of a child to the good and the promise not to touch evil. Do you renounce the devil in all his works and all his ways? I do renounce him. So I'm revolted by evil. And of course, if you're clever, you notice that the first thing Pastor did this morning was uh, come out, you unclean spirit, and make way for the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was a little exorcism for the kid. Right? We don't presume the best about you. So... Jesus himself sanctifies us. And this beautiful line from Hebrews... Um, by a single offering, Christ perfected us for all time. So that's justification, right? Those who are being sanctified, that's the process. So you're justified once and you're sanctified forever and ever, amen, until you get to heaven. And just in case, you know, you need some context for that, you remember the prophecy that behold, a virgin shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel from Isaiah 7, 5. If you remember, if you read closely, it says even as he's young, before he eats curds and honey, right? Before he solid foodish, He'll refuse the evil and choose the good. The Christian life in Christ. He refuses the evil and chooses the good. Or from Romans, St. Paul, hold fast to what is good, abstain from what is evil. So there you go. And then just a reminder, because I, even talking about this, I can feel myself being stark with you. Uh, but it's, it's a serious business because the challenges come from so many different directions, and um, the world is a tough place right now. But here's the thing. Um, 
Never forget, even in your failings, um, how pleased God is with you. So you're baptized, and once you're baptized, or at your baptism, and from then on, God looks at you the way he looks at his own son. And so he looks at his son in the Jordan River and says, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. He looks at that child baptized this morning. This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. He looks at all of you and says, these are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And it's hard for us to remember that uh, for a range of reasons from we're not always revolted by evil. We actually enjoy it a bit because it does have some, salu- um, some residual pleasure, right? So we're not always revolted, and we have sinned, and uh, the next day we're always sort of ashamed of ourselves, but you should remember that the Lord does love you and is very pleased with you, and his sole intent is to bless you. I think this is very difficult, and I was never taught this as I was young by my pastors or even as a good Lutheran, that everything that comes is a gift and a blessing. Even when God punishes you, that comes to you as a gift and a blessing. It's meant to shape you, to move you, to change you, to push you in a direction where the Lord can have some good use of you, to make something out of you is the way your parents would say it, but they probably didn't say it as much about the church as they should have. And so, you know, whatever comes, and the ultimate swing is to say, even my own death is a gift and a blessing. Even my own death is a friend. So that's the Lord having his last swing at me. So the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. He loves you more than you love yourselves. And, you know, number four there, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason this world does not know us is that it does not know him. It's startling uh, how quickly Christians have become outcast. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we are has not yet appeared, so someday more. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's the consummation where you become fully human once again, fully Adam in the garden, fully Christ, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, justification and sanctification. Considered pure, and yet some purity yet to be accomplished. So off we go. And this, then, is the way of divine love. So Colossians 3.14, we didn't do this yet. So, And above all, put on love. Now, it's really interesting to me. One of the things that happens here is um, people come here, and they often say, uh, all I ever heard about in my previous congregation was that God is love. And, of course, my first response to that always is, holy cow, that's the one thing I would want you to hear if you come here, that God is love. Because I've spent most of my life hearing other things in churches. And the one thing I would like to know, that God is love. But it doesn't mean sort of this paper-thin notion of God is love. It means God is love, which is the character of God is love, which is through and through God is love, which is everything is drawn from the love of God. If you say God is love, there is nothing you can't say about God or about the church or about you. So when it says this, above all other things, put on love, he's saying everything. He's not saying a nothing. 
He's saying, this soaks the landscape. This saturates everything about you. This changes your entire worldview. This reorders the way that you would live your life. That's what's happening when God loves you. So look at this. Um, Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, um, you know, of course, that's the agape word. God's selfless, outward-facing, always for the other person, um, creative and redeeming and sanctifying love, right? But perfect harmony. Because, my, again, my own experience, and I suspect your experience, is often that when you're with Christians or in a church, perfect harmony hasn't always been the order of the day, right? So, you know, what is that? So perfect harmony, I mean, it takes two words to translate this one word. It basically means that um, this harmony presumes that everybody is pulling on the same end of the rope and everybody is formed in the same image, that everybody is going in the same direction and being pressed into the image of Christ. But it doesn't get completed in this life. As good as you may be, or your church may be, or your family may be, there's always tomorrow. And has this double meaning of everything pulls in the direction of Christ, and you should get a good night's sleep, because everything that's happened up to now becomes the basis for the next thing that you do. So it's always progress, always pilgrimage, always journey, always on the way. The way actually is made by walking. It's always a Camino. Right? It's always Jesus who's getting up and going to the next place. It's always following. That's what is all wrapped up into this single word. And what's interesting um, is that love is the only thing that can bind us all together. You would think from our last year or two that it was politics (laughs) or church politics. Uh, You know, if we just could get our guy in office or if that person could just be appointed, um, then it would all work out. Yeah, no. The only thing that can bind us together that way is something that is beyond us. I had a friend um, whose father just died. And uh, good Orthodox folks. Um, But his father suffered into his last days and uh, was in and out of consciousness. But I mean, the things that people say, um, this is gorgeous, right? So to his own son. Um, Common thing you'd say to your father if he was dying, do you know who I am? He looked up and said, you're a sinner trying to find his way home. Um, Gorgeous stuff. And then before he died, he said, um, he sort of these kind of blurts where people come to consciousness. Any man who doesn't believe in miracles doesn't believe in anything. That's a good life. And it's a life that then is consummated, is wrapped up into love. Turn the page. So love, you know, when you're looking to figure out what it is that will hold your family together or hold your church together, right? Love is the secret. Like love is the thing. You would think, you know, if you ask Christians, it is discipline, it is rigor, it is mysticism, it is something else, right? It is what must be humbled, it is what must be done. You would think... I mean, here's the text. If you want things to change, if you want to hold things together, your kids, your family, your life, your church, your world, 
The answer comes in a single word, the agopic love of God himself. And so this divine love, what happens is, is it, it generates the same identity. So Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me, so you're my sister in Christ. Or Jesus baptized you and Jesus baptized me. So we have the same name, we're the same family. Or Jesus puts the body of Christ into you and he puts the body of Christ into me. And so the way I regard you is the body of Christ and the way you regard me is the body of Christ. So we are knitted together, we are bound together. We become one thing by what Christ does to us. And then of course, when he does it to us, he sets us free to do it again. And so the gospel is always more. So you should hear all of this as great opportunity. When you, know, when you get this instruction that says, you put off and you put on, right? You don't touch that and you do touch that. You're revolted by the things that will destroy you or possess you. And you embrace the things that will enliven you or change you. You embrace the things that would make you one and make you happy in love. Um, you should hear that as the greatest thing you've ever heard. And so point six, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ, or it actually literally is, I mean, you can translate it a couple ways, but it actually makes more sense. Let the peace from Christ, because then we have some directionality. Let the peace from Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Now, we don't think of, um, I always am curious when I, you know, fall off to sleep at night and pray kingdom and power and glory, none of which sound like very optimistic, gospely phrases. Kingdom, power, and glory, that's the way you cut people's heads off, kind of enforce the rules. So even this notion of peace ruling may seem to you a bit of an oxymoron. Um, yeah, it doesn't work right? Until it does. So in this life, peace has the power to, to rule us. So God loves us, and by his love he binds us together, and bound together we see the same things, and hear the same things, and do the same things, and aspire to the same things, and pull in the same direction. And then bound together as a church, we live in peace. And so, in that sense, a gospelly sense, peace rules us. What rules us? What rules us is the love of God that makes us one, forgives us, changes us, and sets us on our way home, all together, behind Jesus. The way is made by walking. And so, let the peace of Christ rule in you, um, in your hearts, so that we can be one body, right? I just flipped the page. Um, so peace is this, it's this double thing. If you've ever spent a time in a silent retreat or if you've ever been kind of away for a long weekend or there was time, there's this double thing of peace being very busy. So if you've gone, you know, I don't know if, you know, being alone for 10 minutes in the silence would make you scream, but if you, you know, if you take three days or a week uh, in a silent retreat, it's a different kind of experience. There's a place I like to go when I can get in. Um, it's a horrible place, um, overlooking Big Sur in California. 
but the only person who speaks is the person who checks you in at the gift shop. And then beyond that, dead silence, unless you get up for mass at you know, 4 a.m. and you know, the prayers would follow in the days. But otherwise, you're on your own in utter silence. It's the sort of thing that can make you mad, crazy, undo you. Um, if you can't get past your own chaos to the chaos uh, that engages you when God himself engages you. And that's a little bit of what they're talking about here, this kind of peace that isn't the sort of substitute stuff that we always suggest, the things that just keep us occupied or fill the day. I'm always amazed when some, somebody says to me, I have a job and I love it because it makes the day go fast. And I think to myself, are you out of your mind? Because <laughs> you have a limited number of heartbeats. Uh, and at some point, one will be the last one. You should make use of every last one. Neil Armstrong, first guy on the moon. I have a limited number of heartbeats. I'm not going to waste any of them on exercise. Okay, you be your own judge. <laughs> So this peace can uh, rule you. Now, what's really interesting is um, the Greek word for rule. You know, these things that, you know, English, it's hard. Being a translator is hard. It actually means be the umpire. Peace gets to be the umpire in your life. It actually, rule is almost, you know, three steps away from what it actually, it means peace gets to decide what you do. Peace is the umpire. You know the old joke about, you know, the pitcher, you know, throws a pitch. The batter doesn't move. The umpire is silent. The batter says, what was it, ump? And the umpire says, it's nothing until I say what it is. That's the church. Things are nothing until God says what they are. And so, you know, this, how does this, how do, how does this rule? What does it mean to have peace rule? You think somehow this is ambiguous in some ways, or you can't quite figure out what it is, or is this the right step? No, it's much more simple than that. One thinks of peace as this thing to sort of toe the mark, which is not it at all. This sort of static thing, that a boundary that's not to be violated. That's not it at all. Peace is this active thing, born of God's love, poured into you through the sacraments by His Holy Spirit, that gives you the criteria to say, this will wound me, and I need to be revolted by it, I need to put it away, or... This is wonderful, and this will draw me to holiness, and even if I suffer along the way, it'll draw me to happiness. That's what it means. So peace, peace, you know, so you should you know, let peace rule, and then the next line, seven, and, and be thankful. And this won't startle any of you to know that this is the uh, Eucharistos word, Right? the Eucharist word for thanksgiving. And I've left you with a long bit from Henry Nouwen that you've seen before about choosing life and choosing gratitude and how uh, the world is yours and the possibilities are endless and uh, take them for what they are. You know, very quickly, just the bolded points under point seven. The word Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. A Eucharistic life is one of gratitude. Gratitude for what? Gratitude that God made you from love, that God saves you from love, that God guides you from love, that he delivers you into a loving community that can live at peace in a world that's always at war, right? And that 
it can always get better because however good it is today becomes the platform for tomorrow. So, right, this isn't obvious. I've just turned the page. Our losses can pull us into anger and bitterness and resentment. We can let the facts speak, and there's always plenty of facts that will speak. Right? Listen today. This whole Sunday morning, if people aren't in church, they're home watching the news, and in the news, the facts speak. Right? There'll always be enough facts to convince us that life in the end leads to nothing. And that if you believe other, you're just naive. Right? The number of times, you know, I've heard this over the years. You know, this is just, this not, it's just naive to think this way. Um, Jesus gave us the Eucharist to enable us to choose gratitude. It is a choice we ourselves have to make, right? It opens the possibility of gradually letting go of our many resentments, whether they are from things that you've done or that have been done to you, and choosing to be grateful. The Eucharist keeps inviting us to that attitude. That's the reason the Eucharist is the center of the world, right? The Eucharist is Christ. You can get a horrible sermon. You can never get a bad Holy Supper. It's the Eucharist that is the center of life. At first, we might not recognize this. We've been blinded by our own understandings and we pull ourselves and other people into a hole. There's a voice that calls us foolish. The voice asks us to have a completely new look at our lives from above. Any man that doesn't believe in miracles doesn't believe in anything. Eucharist Thanksgiving in the end comes from above. It is the gift that we cannot fabricate for ourselves. And that is the fundamental misunderstanding of our time. That we have fabricated our own reality. And our own reality is true. That there is nothing over the horizon and there is no one bigger or better than me, than I, right? It's the gift we cannot fabricate for ourselves. It is to be received. It is love. It is from beyond. It is bestowed. It brings peace. It makes a bond. It is the Eucharist, right? It is freely offered and asked to be freely received. That's where the choice is. Let it touch every part of our being and transform our resentments into gratitude. You've had hard lives, Right? So my friends started to die, get cancer, get die in their 20s. Right? In high school, I had friends die. In my 20s, I had college friends die. It comes early. You grow up fast. If you haven't had it yet, you will. It's right at your door. Right? Then what? Okay, then what? Love, the Eucharist, peace, touches every part of life and allows that to be transformed our resentments can become gratitude. We don't have to do this. In fact, most people don't. But as often as we make that choice, everything, even the most trivial things, become new. This is why people whom you've never heard of live glorious lights that sometimes turn out to be saints. Just never paid attention. Nobody ever paid attention to them. And what really happens is that our lives become great, part of the mysterious work of God's salvation. Once that happens, nothing is accidental. Nothing is casual. Nothing is futile. Even the most insignificant event speaks the language of faith, hope, love, and beyond. That is the Eucharistic life. The life 
in which everything becomes a way of saying thank you to the one who joined us on the road. And of course, the way to say thank you is to say more, please. The gospel is always more. Let's pray, church. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you next week. Go to the Eucharist.